Heavenly Father, we beseech thee. I kneel before you as a member of this age-old craft, praying to you for guidance as I am on a journey. A journey for more light, but more especially light that has been lost, forgotten, or hidden among the ages gone by. The light that connects us with our very meaning and informs us of our purpose. Light locked deep within our past, beyond lips that no longer speak, and paths forgotten, no longer traveled. Aid me in my pursuit, Lord, for historical light. Hey everybody, welcome back to Historical Light, an independent Masonic show focused on the historical events and aspects within Freemasonry. As always, I'm your host, Brother Alex Powers, and I want to thank you for joining us again for Episode 3 as we continue our quest for Historical Light. Now, today's episode is brought to you in part by our sponsor, Masonic Revival. I'm sure most of you have heard of this great company already, but if you have not, I highly suggest you go check them out at MasonicRevival.com. You'll find everything top quality from Masonic lapel pins, bow ties, neckties, and so much more. They're really an amazing company that is bringing that top quality need to Masonic merchandise. So check them out at their website, and if you use the promo code HLIGHT, all one word, you'll get free shipping on your order. So do that today. Now, as we get started here, we'll jump over to our friends at masonrytoday.com and see what happened in Masonic history today. Today in Masonic history, James M. Barnes was born in 1899. James M. Barnes is an American politician. Barnes was born in Jacksonville, Illinois, where he attended local schools. At 18, Barnes enlisted in the United States Marine Corps, serving during World War I. After World War I, Barnes attended college in Illinois in 1921 and in 1924 would attend Harvard Law School. Also in 1924 he would be admitted to the bar in Illinois and began practicing law in his hometown of Jacksonville. Barnes was also active in the business community of Jacksonville and was on the board of directors for the Ideal Banking Company and the Jacksonville Farm Supply Company as well as several other companies. In 1926 Barnes served as the Morgan County Judge and he would hold that position as a Democrat until 1934. In 1939, Barnes was elected to the United States House of Representatives from Illinois. He would also serve two consecutive terms there, losing a re-election bid in 1942. In March of 1943, Barnes was appointed to the administrative assistant position for President Roosevelt. He would serve in that position into Harry S. Truman's presidency, leaving in 1945. Barnes, after leaving his position at the White House, remained in Washington, D.C. and began practicing law. Barnes passed away in Washington in 1958. He was a member of Jacksonville Lodge Number no. 570 in Jacksonville, Illinois. Well, that is uh, definitely an impressive resume. I've actually heard this brother's name before. I'm sad to say I didn't know all of his background story as such, but I have heard his name, and I was impressed to find out that he was a brother. Uh, it's kind of a silver lining there. It's very cool when you find someone as accomplished as this and then have verification that they were indeed a brother. So the brothers over at Jacksonville Lodge should definitely be proud of the accomplishments of one of their own. And hats off to Brother Barnes as we remember you today. 
Well, the topic for today's show is we're going to be covering the Oklahoma Masonic Indian Degree Team. I've heard some wonderful things about these guys over the past couple years and the quality of work that they do. And I've always had a little bit of a connection there myself because I do have Native American blood within me. So it's always kind of sparked my interest towards them. And we were recently very lucky to be able to interview their secretary, Brother David Dill. So without further ado, we'll jump over and I hope you enjoy today's interview. Everybody. Tonight we have with us Brother David Dill. He is the current sitting secretary for the Oklahoma Masonic Indian Degree Team. Brother Dill, if you don't mind, I'll go ahead and turn it over to you. If you want to go ahead and further introduce yourself, tell us what lodge you're from and a little bit about your background. Yes, my name is David Dill, and I am the current secretary on the Oklahoma Masonic Indian Degree Team. I am actually the sitting worshipful master of Coweta Lodge number 251 uh, for about another week before we have our elections. And I've been a Mason for about uh, six years now. Very cool. Well, I greet you as a worshipful. We're uh, very glad to have you with us tonight. And just to kind of get into it, um, what, what enticed you to become a Mason? What brought you on this route of Freemasonry? Well, I've got Masons in my family. My dad and grandpa are both Masons. And so I tell people it was really only a matter of time before I became a Mason. Um, I was actually in college, and right before my last year of college, my senior year, the summer before, um, I went down to the lodge for friends and family night and received a petition. Uh, one of the brothers just handed it to me, and and I uh, started to learn a little bit more about it just by reading the petition and the little pamphlet that I had. Uh, I'd grown up in the lodge, my uh, dad and Grandpa were both very active with the the fish fries, breakfasts, and things. And, you know, just growing up, I just thought it was something for old men uh, to go to and, and eat and, and put on these fundraisers. I had no idea that there was all this other stuff involved with it. And so, you know, once I got started in it, um, I picked up the first categorical lecture after becoming an EA. I learned it in about a week, and then same thing with Bellcraft and Masters. So I was um, a Master Mason after about a month of petitioning. So I went back to college my senior year, uh, a Master Mason. Very cool, very <laughs> cool. Well, how long have you been a member of this degree team? I uh, became a uh, Master Mason in 2010, and I think it was the next summer, 2011, when I actually saw the degree team. Um, they were doing an outdoor degree down in Heavener, Oklahoma, which is kind of down in the, the southeastern mountains in the state. And they were on top of this mountain overlooking this valley as the sun was setting, and I thought, man, this is awesome. Hey, I'm I'm Indian. I'm Muscogee Creek. Um, you know, I've already learned um, all the ritual work. I had my A certificate. You know, I can do this. I should be on this team. And so I, uh, I found their email and emailed the director, and he got back with me. And, and then later that fall, I went with them on the first degree, which was 2011. So it's been... Uh, little over five years now that I've been with the team. <laughs> Very cool. And that, that's actually cool you say that because i got Muscogee Creek in me as well. So that's always something I've yeah. uh, had an interest <laughs> in finding more about. Right. So can you tell us a little bit about the general history behind the degree team itself and kind of where they got their start? Uh, as far as I know, they 
the the old guys, the originals, they started kind of messing around with having a, um, a degree team made up of Indians around 1947. But back then, it was just kind of a loose, loosely uh, knitted thing that they kind of threw together. Um, it, it gained popularity. Uh, people were asking them to do things. And so I think it was the late 50s when they actually organized and said, okay, this is going to be an actual uh, working team with uh, rules and and our uh, um, somewhat of a, a team constitution and different things and and that was I believe fifty eight or fifty nine is when that happens. Uh, one of our old guys, um, really old guys, he just passed away. He was a um, member for more than fifty years. He uh, wasn't an original, but I think he came along into masonry about two or three years after the team formed and he was uh, quickly recruited to be on the team. And if you, if anyone has seen the team in the last 15 years, they probably remember brother Bob Archkit. He was the, uh, the funny man. Um, but also just an outstanding Indian, outstanding brother. Um, but he was the closest thing we had to an original and he, he passed away earlier this year, but he, um, we used to ask him things about the team way back, you know, different people that were on it, and and he was kind of our go-to guy. Right now, our next oldest guy, he's um, uh, brother Rolly McIntosh. He is the next oldest guy on the team, and he um, got on in 1980s. So, so we've lost a lot of our uh, between the 50s and the 80s. You know, we don't have any of those guys with us anymore. Definitely. <laughs> That's that's something you know lodges nationwide can definitely relate with. We're losing mm-hmm. brothers, uh, unfortunately, way too fast and too many at a time. Um, as far as membership of coming into this degree team, do you guys have requirements or are there availability for people to join? Um, we do ask um, that they can prove that they're native. Um, we believe it or not, we'll get people that say, "Hey, I'm native," you know. My great great grandma was a Cherokee princess or something, but you know, beyond that, they don't they don't know. Um, usually, we ask for a, a card. If they don't have a card, we'd say, "Well, do you have you know some pictures of relatives or any sort of uh, way you can prove it?" Um, that's one way. The other way is to be um, adopted onto the team. We do have. If you, if anyone has seen the team um, in the last about 30 years, we do have two guys on the team that aren't native, uh, but they uh, they just love the team, the concept of it so much that they would go with us and help set up for degrees, and sometimes uh, would need to uh, fill in for a part when we'd have a guy missing. And so, in the Native American culture, we adopted them onto the team, and as far as we're concerned, they're just as much a part of the team as the rest of us. Um, we do joke, joke with them a little bit. Um, we, when we, uh, tell each of our members tribes after the degree is over, we say, this is so-and-so of the Cherokee nation. We get to them and we say that they're from the Sycamore nation, uh, Sycamore tree being the bark being white and slick. (laughs) And that, that usually draws a laugh. And we didn't make that up. Someone asked asked them if they were in the Sycamore Nation. I think it was up in New York. Um, they said, "Are you part of the Sycamore Nation, where the trees are white and slick?" And and so it just kind of stuck. And now we that's what we refer to their tribe as. But 
it's it's all in good, it's all in good fun. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of the tribes, is there a main tribe that is kind of comprised behind the degree team itself, or is it a you know a, a bunch of different uh, tribal backgrounds that come together to comprise this? We we do have. I, I think last count was like eight, nine, or ten different tribes represented. Um, each of our, um, a lot of the guys are Muscogee Creek, um, but we do have Cherokee, uh, Choctaw, uh, Quapaw, Pawnee, um, Apache, um, and some others I can't think of. Shawnee, off the top of my head, we got a Shawnee. And so we do have a bunch of different tribes that are represented. Um. Definitely. I'm sure there's a lot of history within there. Are there influences that um, arise from the different tribes into the work that you guys do on these degrees? There, there has been. Um, no one does it currently, but I heard back in the 90s in uh, the uh, part of the degree, there's a, a prayer um, that is said in the second section. And there was a brother who was Creek, and he used to uh, recite the prayer in Creek and then translate it into English. Oh, wow. um, and but we don't have anyone that does that. Um, the um, some of the stuff that we do, we do have uh, prayer songs that we've replaced the hymns that you might hear in a, a Master Mason degree. And sometimes there was some background music played with an organ. We've replaced that with uh, our prayer songs. And the prayer songs are what you might, what you would hear at a powwow. Um, they're ceremonial, and the ones that we use in the degree are appropriate for the occasion. Um, uh, the different uh, places at which we use them in the degree, and I can tell you that uh, two of the songs we use three, and two of them are Ponca, and one of them is Kiowa. And one of them, one of the songs, I think it's one of the Ponca songs, was actually given to the team by the family that, that created the song. And so it's uh, in the Native American culture, it's a big honor whenever someone gifts you with a song um, or passes along one of their family's songs to you. You kind of become the keeper of it because none of the music's written down or recorded. It's all done by mouth to mouth, similar to a lot of our uh, ritual work in, in Masonry. <clears throat> Definitely. Well, being under the uh, Grand Lodge of Oklahoma, um, how much are you guys able to add into the degree work? Are they very strict on you staying exactly to the standard degree work? The Oklahoma Grand Lodge requires us to put everything in the degree uh, that they require in Oklahoma to become a Master Mason, and that's what we do. We put it all in there, uh, but they do allow us to add a little bit to it um, because of the, uh, the uniqueness the Native American culture, um, the authenticity of all the members in it. They allow us to um, uh, dress a certain way and then um, to, to um, add a little bit of uh, humor to it as well. One of our guys said we do it for the humanity to make it a little bit more believable um, and to make our degree a little bit different than what people are used to seeing. Uh, we have had some members... Uh, not on the team, but Oklahoma Masons who have uh, have not cared for the way we do it. They say it has to be done a certain way, very strict, very formal. Uh, there should be no joking or anything of that nature. 
Um, but then we have plenty of, um, of sway with um, some of the Grand Lodge officers, past Grand Masters and things that they usually just say, you know, leave the Indians alone, let them do their thing. Uh, <laughs> because they, they represent Oklahoma uh, across the USA and the world. And, and most of them see that, um, uh, what we do and, and they're very proud to have us. So, um, but yeah, we, we do add some stuff to it. And we we could say that no two of our degrees are the same. You know, if you see us do it one time, the next time you see us, it might be a little bit different. So definitely. Well, yeah, I, I totally agree with you know having the the fundamentals uh, put into the degree itself. But you know, being through different degrees and seeing different lodges do it, you can definitely tell the guy that reads directly from the book and is very monotone, and then the guy that puts a little bit of theatricals into it and really makes it his own. And it, it makes it so much more enjoyable for everybody, plus for the candidate itself that's going through it. So absolutely, I haven't personally been able to see uh, one of your guys' degrees yet. I definitely uh, have that on my <laughs> list to do so, but I've, I've heard about it, and everyone that has witnessed it in person has had great things to say. So I uh, definitely commend you guys for that. You guys are apparently doing a, a great job with that. Thank you. Now, what is the uh, symbolism, some of the symbolism that could be found um, on the Native American side that you guys put into the degrees? Uh, the, well, going back to the songs, um, one of the songs that we sing is very symbolic in that uh, without going into too much detail, um, the uh, second section of the Masters, the uh, we'll say the candidate is going on a journey of sorts. Um, you could call it that. And so one of the songs that we sing is we're wishing him well on his journey. And this is before he he goes and meets the ruffians, you know. And so it's uh, it's uh, symbolic that way. Um, some of the other things that we do, it's it's more for uh, uh, humor purposes. Like uh, when the ruffians meet their demise, uh, we signify their demise by holding up some wigs for um, – to re represent that they may have been scalped, um, and that usually draws some pretty good reaction from the from the crowd. So, um, now I will say with our outfits, our dance clothes, all of that's authentic. Uh, we do have real eagle feathers. The um, the worshipful master King Solomon, if you will, he uh, wears a full war bonnet, um, a full on war bonnet with eagle feathers, uh, very authentic. Um, and it sign signifies the authority that he has, um, by sitting in the East instead of the normal hat that they wear. Sure. Um, and so that's, that's one of the ways as well. Uh, one, uh, one side note on that is sometimes people come up and, and gift us with things. They'll have these native American items in their family, or they'll have something they don't know what to do with it. And so they'll come give it to the team. And I think it was, it may have been back in Tennessee um, uh, five, ten years ago where a guy had a, a war bonnet uh, with eagle feathers in it. He wasn't native. He said his family came across it somehow, but he just said he didn't feel comfortable owning it. So he just gave it to the team. And uh, we researched it a little bit. And it's a real deal war bonnet from the 1800s. Uh, oh, wow. And from the Comanche tribe. And every once in a while, we'll pull that one out, and it's, it's uh, I mean, it's the real thing. It's, it's cool. 
Definitely. Well, I, I'm glad uh, he sought you guys out to give that to you without letting something else happen to it. Right. I mean, anything symbolic like that, I mean, even touching on uh, military regalia or Masonic regalia, it's, it's really a shame of how often you see that stuff just end up in the trash. Yeah. Uh, someone passes away. And or a yard sale. <laughs> exactly, exactly. People don't know what it means, and they don't want to deal with it, and they toss it. It's very, very unfortunate to see that powerful history go to right. waste. Now, I know it's been said that there's actually a lot of ties between symbolism within Freemasonry and within the Native American <laughs> culture. Um, do you know of any actual uh, Freemasonry that may have existed within the Native American tribes, or was that primarily brought over with the settlers' influence? It was brought over with the settlers' influence, but the the first lodge, as I understand it, in Oklahoma was um, the lodge in Tahlequah. And Tahlequah is the capital of the Cherokee Nation. And whenever they were going to build the lodge, uh, I believe it was in the 1840s, um, the Cherokee Nation donated the land for the lodge to be built on. And at that time, the famous uh, Cherokee chief was John Ross, and he was actually Freemason. And so they had uh, a big hand in, in helping that lodge get started. The um, you can go to that legend on their wall. They have all the pictures of the past masters, and from like 1840 up into the late 1800s, they're all you cannot you can tell that they're all Cherokee uh, brothers. Very cool. um, that's that's one one example I can think of. The other is the uh, the the guy that wrote a lot of the Oklahoma ritual work. His name was Joseph B. Murrow. He was a uh, grandmaster in the 1800s, grand secretary, grand this and that. He just uh, was was in everything. But his primary occupation was a, a Baptist preacher. And he was a church planter in southeastern Oklahoma, which is a Choctaw nation. And he would go around and uh, plant Indian churches and, and minister to the Indians. Uh, he also uh, helped plant some lodges down there. He has he had a portable altar and some lodge paraphernalia that he would uh, take with them, and he would start these uh, lodges. And at that time, they'd be primarily occupied by uh, the Choctaw Indians. And uh, just to plug real quick, a lot of his stuff is in the Oklahoma Grand Lodge. Uh, upstairs, they have a wonderful museum uh, with a lot of artifacts, and you can read about his history and and see some of his artifacts and things that he used uh, when he would travel around. I think they even may have that portable altar up there as well. So wow. if you're ever in Guthrie, Oklahoma, check out the, uh, the Oklahoma Grand Lodge Museum. Very cool. Uh, that is definitely on my travel list. Uh, I have some family history that comes out of Mounds, Oklahoma, that were Freemasons, oh, yeah. and been doing a lot of research in there. Um, Native American background through them as well. So definitely want to make it down through Oklahoma, possibly this next year, and see all those sites. It'd be yeah. very cool to witness firsthand. So without going too deep into you know detail or anything. What kind of symbology, I know you mentioned the music and stuff you do, but is there other symbology that you put into the degree work itself? The, uh, the music's the main thing. Um, uh, I, I will say the, um, the outfits that we wear uh, play into the little bit. Um, talking about the outfits, they're, um, they're really modeled after uh, different powwow dances. Um, each tribe... 
at a powwow, you know, there might be 30, 40, 50 different tribes represented. Sure. Um, and each tribe has their own traditions, their own things that they do. And so at a powwow, if they tried to incorporate all those, it would, it would take forever. And so a lot of times they narrow it down to four uh, main dances. Um, and so we, our, our outfits are modeled after those four main dance outfits. The one that you see most of on the team is the straight dance outfit. And the straight dance is a gentleman's dance. It's the proper formal attire uh, for a powwow. It's, it's your dress clothes, your Sunday best, uh, but in the Native American sense. And so that's why we, a lot of us wear that for uh, the degree. Um, it's gentleman's out, uh, attire, uh, gentleman's clothes, because it corresponds with the gentleman's dance. And so that, that's another way um, we could incorporate that into the degree. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Well, joining into the uh, the degree team itself, I know in Oklahoma you guys are surrounded with the Native American culture a lot more than you know we are here in Kansas, per se. Um, do you guys know about this culture, like the dances and stuff, prior to the degree team, or is this all something that you're totally submerged with once you're joining? It's it, we've got members... Uh, with uh, different backgrounds we've had some uh, guys that started off they grew up on the powwow circuit dancing and in the powwow culture and then later on they became freemasons and they learned about the team and said hey i've got dance clothes i know about all this stuff you know i should be on the team and and then there's people like me where we join masonry see the team and then think well you know i think i might want to be on the team and so for me, my personal experience is I, I called the talk to the director and he said, okay, well, you can do the ritual work. Well, we need to get you some dance clothes. I said, okay, how do I do that? Where do I go? You know, is there a website? <laughs> but come to find out, um, everyone makes their own clothes and it's a, it's a lifelong journey. And he said, well, you're going to have to learn how to, how to do this stuff. And so I learned to make moccasins, leggings. I learned to do the beadwork. Um, and I, I, I can honestly say without masonry, without the degree team, I never would have learned about my, my culture. Um, it's brought me a greater understanding of the Native American culture and the traditions and uh, so much that, that I, I could have gone through life and not known anything about had it not been for uh, the degree team and, and Oklahoma Freemasonry. I couldn't agree with you more. That's that's really why I got into doing this show. Um, there's so much history there that, and it, it's so easy for it to be lost too. It's it's really scary to see you know your your past generations that you get mm -hmm. one or two generations down and you're pretty much forgotten about. So yeah. it's it's really important to if you don't already know that history, relearn it, maintain it, and preserve it and honor it for the uh, generations to come. So. I'm glad you guys are taking those steps to do that. And that's really cool that um, that has brought you to a point that you've gotten more in touch with your, your ancestors' history. Now, you're speaking about the uh, different tribal clothing. Um, what all different styles would you see from the different types of tribes on the dresses that you guys use within the degree team? The, the straight dance, the one that I mentioned earlier, the gentleman's dance, uh, that comes from the Southern Plains tribes like the the Comanches, um, maybe even some Apache, um, the Caddo's, um, all, all the tribes that were originally in Oklahoma, they used that dance. Um, the 
Cherokees, the Creeks, the Southeastern tribes, their uh, traditional dress would have been the the turban, uh, the ruffled shirt with the gorgets and the the big sashes and things. Uh, but those aren't dance clothes. That would be like ceremonial dress. Um, and sure. so we try to limit the um, the dress on the team to the dance clothes. Um, and so you see a lot of straight dance. We do have a, our director, he does wear a fancy dance outfit, which is a crazy, uh, one with the ribbons and the bustles and the feathers everywhere. Um, which that actually started in Oklahoma, um, with the Ponca, Ponca tribe in the late 1800s. And, but he's Creek, but he wears the, uh, the fancy dance outfit. Um, so a lot of times what we're wearing, it doesn't correspond with our tribe, but we do try to, uh, within our outfits, incorporate some things from the tribe. Um, with the beadwork, we might put a, a pattern that you see common in the Creek Nation or uh, colors for different tribes. Some tribes have official colors, and you might incorporate that in your shirt or your beadwork and things. Um, and so it's it, the corresponding tribes would be real small things on the outfit. Uh, that you might notice. <laughs> Very cool. Well, about how many degrees would you say you guys do per year on average? Uh, we do about 10. Um, we try to limit our degree work to two per month. Um, any more than that, and we're really uh, stressing our guys. Uh, a lot of them still work, and then they have the fa their families and, and different things. And so we really try to limit it to two per month. And it usually comes about uh, 10, 10 per year. Uh, some months are really slow, like December is a slow month. Um, some of the summer months get slow, um, picks up in the spring and the fall. That seems to be our, our busy season. Well, I mean, definitely with, with being a traveling degree team, that can put a lot of stress on family life and stuff. And, you know, even getting brothers together for a degree at your local lodge, you know, can sometimes be very hard for brothers coming straight from work and trying to right. fill those spots and stuff. Do you guys notice much of a or witness much of a uh, issue trying to fill those spots and um, being ready, for being able to get off work and everything to do these uh, traveling degrees? We kind of work around that is if it's in the Tulsa area, that's where most of the guys live is Tulsa. We can do those on weeknights, um, and it's pretty pretty doable for us. Anything outside of the Tulsa area, we try to move to Saturday and start in the morning and end in the early afternoon. Um, and about two to three hours away from Tulsa is about how far we'll go for that on a Saturday. Okay. Um, anything farther than that out of state? Um, you know, special things we'll make different accommodations for, but a lot of times, uh, if we travel out of state, we, um, stay overnight, we leave on Friday, um, do the degree, other events on Saturday, then come back on Sunday. And those type of degrees, we usually only get about two or three a year, but those are the ones everyone loves to do. So, oh, sure. so it's, it's, it's never a problem getting guys together for those. <laughs> Definitely. Well, I can imagine uh, how many brothers and different stories and stuff you've been able to uh, witness on your travels. What is the uh, farthest that the Decree Dream has actually uh, gone to do a degree? The farthest would be England. Um, oh, wow. We Last time we went to England was in 2013, and I was fortunate enough to go with them um, to England. And we were there for two weeks, 
and we did 12 degrees in 12 different lodges on 12 different nights uh, over the span of two weeks and it was it was quite the experience every one of the lodges was packed um the uh, english brothers they couldn't get enough uh couldn't get enough of the indians they just loved it um that they're real live indians in england um and i will say it's it's quite the experience to sit and lodge in england um it's a lot different but a lot of the of it is the same as what you see here in in the united states um, I will say if you or any of the listeners out there have ever attended a festive board, after each meeting in England, they have a uh, festive board. And, you know, England, they do it right. Three course, four course, five course meals. And so we were <laughs> we were fed pretty good our entire time that we were there. <laughs> Definitely. Given that Masonic growth, an entirely different meaning. Yes. <laughs> well, that that is a, a huge travel, taking all that to England. I mean, whoever yeah. did all the logistics on that deserves a round of applause. I can only imagine how many different bags and stuff it was to uh, try to get all of your equipment and everything over there. Uh, I'll give a shout out to him. His name is Keith uh, Jackson in England, and he's the one that kind of managed us. He arranged all the um, the um, lodges that would host us, figured out all the expenses, worked out the itinerary, and it was quite an undertaking. And he really took care of us. Um, and so, not not anything that we did. It was really all him uh, to organize that. Well, that's that's very good for someone to invite you and be able to uh, map it down that perfectly and have everything laid out. I know that, especially with you know the, what you guys do, that just makes the world a difference to be able to have oh, yeah. you know so well organized and planned. Yep. So I'm, I'm sure there's viewers out there that are definitely interested in uh, witnessing this firsthand. Um, how do how would they go about actually requesting you guys to come and do a degree at their local lodge? Uh, we we ask uh, for just a couple things um if it's out of state um and um we usually we ask for the host lodge to provide our transportation cost um our lodging while we're away and then our meals uh transportation will drive anywhere up to about nine ten hours it's about our max after that we ask for plane tickets because we've got a lot of older guys that can't uh be in a car for any longer than that oh sure and, and um when we do drive we ask for 50 cents a mile both ways for two vans um up to about eight nine ten hours away kind of depending on how easy of a drive it is uh, and then two nights in a hotel, uh, Friday night, Saturday night, Saturday night, and then the uh, lodge meals while we're away. And we just basically ask to be uh, taken care of. Um, a lot of times, you know, the brothers are more than happy to to show what kind of hospitality they have, and and they'll roll out the red carpet and take us to local um, attractions in their town and they just love to show off their areas so it's great it's always a good time when we're able to do that <laughs> well that's good i mean I, those demands sound very reasonable for the quality of work you're bringing and for you to pack up everything and come to a lodge and bring that kind of quality of work i'm i mean that's really that's really a huge feat for you guys and i'm sure it's extremely appreciated mm -hmm. well so far we've brought in a lot of a lot of knowledge about the degree team and the history behind it um is there anything else uh, of historical relevance that you'd like to inform everybody on 
Uh, I would say that uh, one interesting thing about Oklahoma is up until 1907, it was known as Indian Territory. And so most of our lodges were chartered before 1907. Um, and so they actually had a Grand Lodge of Indian Territory uh, charter. And then in 1907, they uh, combined the um, Indian Territory Grand Lodge with the newly formed Oklahoma Grand Lodge. And so a lot of the lodges you go to, they have two different charters um, on their wall. Uh, my home lodge, we don't have our original, but at one time we did have an Indian Territory charter. Um which was which is cool it's always cool when you can see that definitely that's a, that's some pretty cool history there and actually you bring it up the indian territory grand lodge um speaking of my family that i located in in mounds oklahoma that's one of the problems i was coming across is that lodge you know being a very small town even to this day i believe that lodge closed down in 1939 mm -hmm. but you know, prior to, I think it was 1906 when everything was Indian Territory Grand Lodge and then it switched to Oklahoma Grand Lodge. It seems like, you know, with especially with lodges closing down around this time, a lot of history unfortunately got lost and, you know, paperwork was a lot harder to right. keep track of and stuff in those times. But that is very cool. Do you guys still see any uh, comparison between the two Grand Lodges today or? Well, the most interesting thing about that is on our actual Grand Lodge communication, um, it'll say like the 140th communication of the Grand Lodge of Indian Territory, as well as the 108 or whatever it is, communication of the Grand Lodge of Oklahoma. So technically, both of them still exist, and but they operate as one. It's, it's kind of weird. That but is cool. Proceedings, and it lists uh, both of them. And and that's uh, I've always found that interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that is very cool. So in a way, you're a member of two different Grand Lodges at right. the same time. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's very cool. That's that's <laughs> a great history to keep alive, though. We we'd hate to see that disappear. Well, brother, I thank you so much for taking time with us tonight. Uh, we brought a lot of history about the degree team, and the degree team is doing great work, and we want you guys to keep up with that. So we sincerely appreciate you uh, bringing that knowledge to us tonight. And is there any uh? plugs you'd like to give as far as how the audience can best get a hold of you guys to do all this uh, requesting of you to come out? Uh, I would encourage them to like our Facebook page. Uh, just go to Facebook and search Oklahoma Masonic Indian Degree Team, and we should come up. Uh, we try to post pictures of recent degrees on there and events, as well as uh, upcoming uh, degrees and events. Um, the best way to reach me as secretary to try and plan something would be to just send me an email directly and that it would be at O-M-I-D-T secretary at gmail.com. And you can also find that email address on the Facebook page. Um, I will just give, a uh, some quick info in May. I think it's the third weekend in May. We're supposed to be in the Dallas area, Dallas, Texas, uh, this coming September, uh, Lake Charles, Louisiana, and then we may even have one up in South Dakota and and some other places. So just uh, watch our Facebook page, and uh, we'll try and keep you, keep you posted. Definitely. And we will make sure to put those links on our page as well so all the viewers have a quick access to that. Well, brother, thank you so much again for joining us tonight, and we hope to see you again soon. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it. 
Well, we definitely want to thank Brother Dill once more for coming on the show and taking the time to do this interview with us. Uh, like I said, over the past several years, I've heard some really great things about these brothers, so I was really intrigued to find out the more history behind them and how they became to be. So if you get the chance, I would highly encourage, you know, do some traveling to go see these brothers if they're somewhere near you or take the opportunity to invite them to your local lodge region so you can see this work, uh, this degree work firsthand. They offer it in such a unique fashion. It's something that you definitely want to experience and don't want to miss out on. So we'll have their links on our site so you can check them out farther and get in contact with them. And we're going to continue this conversation on our Facebook group. If you're not a member, I highly suggest you go join today so you can continue in the conversation and uh, keep up with some really great other conversations going on on a daily basis there. So with that said, thank you so much for joining us once again. And we'll see you next time as we continue our quest for historical light. Have a great day.